Good Warm Trophy Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is the Thanksgiving hate week, feast week, rivalry, college football episode. It is one of the best weeks in all of sports. As always, I am your host, Nate. Uh, things are looking a little different if you're watching the video version of this. I made it home to my parents' house and forgot some of my video equipment. So uh, hopefully the audio is coming through just fine. We're going to make do today. Uh, talk about some of the big games in college football. Give out some bets. I do think at this point, though, it's a, a good kind of PSA here that I'm recording this at 4 o'clock on Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving. This is the week that the public has the biggest say in line movement by far. Um, there, You're sitting at home. You're eating your Thanksgiving feast. You want to put some action on the games this week. Um, and so lines will probably move depending on when you hear this. So I'm going to give out a, some bets uh, on this episode. Uh, I'll give some more out on our Instagram and Twitter page, at Trophy Kids Pod. Uh, we'll talk about the big games, hopefully give you some edges there um, so that if you want to take action now, you can. If you're going to wait to see where the line moves, depending on kind of your read of the game and, and the information that I provide and, and other various things, then that definitely will will work out. But just giving you a heads up when this is being recorded and that the lines may or may not move uh, by the time you listen to this or if you wait to bet the games right around kickoff. Um, before we get into the games, a couple cleanup items couple news around coaching that we have yet to talk about, and I think we start with the King of the North and Dino Babbers. If you're familiar with this show, if you've been listening for a while, you know that that man has been our golden goose. We have made so much money off the Syracuse program um, and being able to evaluate that program better than compared to where the market's at because Dino is a very, very good football coach in my opinion. He just unfortunately kept hitting the ceiling that is present when you coach at Syracuse. One of the hardest jobs in probably college football um, due to the island it lives on from a recruiting standpoint, the resources that you have available to you, the overall just vibes around the program. Um, it's very hard to win there. And what we saw Debo Dino, I said Debo, Dino do, is a very, very good job at building sort of the baseline for Syracuse football. And, and we saw this virtually every season. You know, they start out really well because he's a really good football coach. He's got enough on the surface level uh, to compete at Syracuse at a level that Syracuse can be proud of. But then the injuries start to maybe come around. And that's where the team crumbles like a house of cards because they don't have the NIL resources currently to go ahead and attack the portal. They don't have the resources to build out depth at a lot of positions that you need depth at because at the end of the day, football is a sport of attrition. Um, and so I think, unfortunately, that this firing isn't necessarily due to the fact that I think Syracuse thinks they're going to be vastly better with a different coach. I think it's sort of the unfortunate nature of college football for a program like Syracuse is that you've always got to be selling the idea of hope. And when things sort of start to get a little stale or you have the same guy in your program for as long as Dino was there, it becomes harder to kind of sell the idea that, like, if you just give a little bit more money, we can go out and get that guy or we can win just that many more games. Um, and so the idea of bringing in a new coach, new vibes, it, it sort of elevates that sales pitch a little bit. And I, I think that's what you saw with Syracuse and why he's ultimately – been let go. Um, I would love to see him at a program with some better resources and better pipelines for recruiting because I think he he's a really good football coach and I really respect him and I, I think that he is going to do a really good job if he's given an opportunity at another school because at the end of the day, Syracuse is, I don't know, arguably one of the toughest, if not the toughest power now four job 
in the country. Like, it's really hard. It, it's it's sort of on par for, like, a Vanderbilt, I would say, where you're just, it's hard to gain wins. Now, obviously, it's a little bit easier because you play in the ACC, but for the similar reasons as your typical recruiting pipelines, those kids aren't really wanting to go play football at Syracuse, and, and your money's not there, and you just don't have the ability to go out and attack the transfer portal and, and support NIL, and it's a really tough job. Like, I, I think you there's a couple guys out there that, that may be able to get something a little bit more consistent as far as getting to bowl games more often. Maybe. You're going to need some injury luck to, to do that because when Syracuse had injury luck, they performed really well. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope he, he lands at a, at a decent program that has a little bit more resources, and I, I think he can do a jo- good job. The other coaching uh, position I want to talk about is UCLA and Chip Kelly because ginormous win against USC last week, and Lincoln Riley is very much floundering at USC. Um, Somewhat of a shock, somewhat not. I think, you know, there was a a double-edged coin there, a double-sided coin there um, at USC. We'll talk about that in a second. But UCLA, the rumors were flying that Chip Kelly was going to get fired. Then he beats USC, and now it's like, "Mm, maybe we don't fire him, which this is sort of the conundrum at UCLA is, one, what is your standard? Because Chip Kelly is certainly meeting that standard from a wins-loss column, I think, at, at UCLA. You know, if if they have a little bit more luck injury-wise at quarterback, you know, Moore is still really young, and he was a sought-after recruit that you won, and you can retain him. Like, I think the overall future is pretty good under Chip Kelly from an X's and O's on-the-field product. The problem is, is Chip Kelly is not adapting to the new system as well as you may like. You know, he's not schmoozing with boosters and really pumping the NIL train and, and, and being your biggest advocate for dollars into the program. You know, we haven't really seen him do that. There are questions about his willingness to really be on the phone recruiting like other high-profile coaches do. But I don't think anybody can necessarily question the ability to coach. I mean, you look at this team. This is a really good football team. Um, the defense is phenomenal. Offensively, you certainly would want them to be better, given it's a Chip Kelly-run system. But I don't necessarily think... You look at the quarterback situation, how they've had to use, utilize three quarterbacks, some due to injury, some due to just poor play from a very young, fresh, green freshman and more who's still trying to get his feet under him. I think there's hope for the future of this program with Chip Kelly at at the head of it. But I can also see why you might want to move um, because you are heading to the Big Ten which I think is going to be a little bit easier for them because you're going to be able to compete against the Big Ten West teams. Um, and outside of, of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, I think UCLA in its current form fits pretty nicely into the Big Ten. But if you want to really maximize that that opportunity and you really want to start to compete at a higher level, which I don't necessarily know if UCLA is, is suited for that, um, I could see why you might want to move on from Chip because there are other coaches out there that can sort of bang the drum on the NIL train and, and, and schmooze boosters and, and do all the things that are required of a college football coach at a high level to do that Chip Kelly maybe doesn't really want to do at this point in his career. You know, it's kind of why he made the jump to the NFL and when that didn't pan out because he is sort of just a college guy, he came back and the landscape's changing and it involves coaches to do more on the administrative side of things than on the field side of things. And so that's sort of where 
I think that is that and why you might look to change direction. But I, I still think he's a fantastic coach. I, I think Lincoln Riley is certainly the one. Dan Mullins threw it out there. You know, is Chip Kelly the right guy to be on the hot seat in L.A. compared to Lincoln Riley, who has completely fallen flat on his face? And if you're a USC fan, I don't know if you have a ton of optimism because you look at the recruiting class, unless they're going to really dominate the portal, the future doesn't look all that great. Like, I do wonder if Lincoln Riley, similar to Cliff Kingsbury, is sort of looking to hopefully ride Caleb Williams' curtails into the NFL and, and get a job wherever Caleb lands because the recruiting hasn't come to fruition like you thought it would. You're now going to be searching for a new defensive coordinator, which I think there's a lot of really good logical moves you can make to improve the defensive side of the ball. I wonder about Lincoln Riley's sort of attention to detail, buttoned-up program. It it looks and feels very lazy this year. And I think that is a little concerning because the play always sort of looks out of sync. It doesn't look like you're working within a system, really. It looks week-to-week like a lot of just backyard football and sort of rolling the ball out and going and play. And there are rumors at Oklahoma. There are now rumors falling to USC that the program isn't always the most buttoned up um, because of Lincoln style, Lincoln Riley's style of coaching, which is not necessarily a downside. It can work. We've seen it work. But you don't seem to have this big push on the recruiting trail. If you're not going to make a big push in the portal, I, I don't know how this transition looks next year. Like I, I, I really thought that Lincoln Riley would be a good fit at USC. I thought the resources, the West Coast pipeline, moving into the Big Ten pipeline from recruiting, the brand recognition of USC, I thought he'd be able to recruit better. I thought the offense would be a little bit more explosive, which is kind of crazy to think about. But that just hasn't really come to fruition, and it's certainly concerning. So we'll see how that plays out. But I want to talk about some football games right now, break them down. Um, we've got some big games, obviously, right off the rip. Uh, I, I will kind of talk about some things more broadly in some of the bigger games in more depth. I think one game I just want to touch on is this Missouri-Arkansas game because while this doesn't hold a lot of meaning this year, next year this is a game where we're going to really shift attention to because of the expanded playoff. Like People want to talk about how you know the regular season is going to matter less in, in the expanded playoff, which I do not buy whatsoever. It just shifts the games that matter more. And this is a game that now all of a sudden matters a lot more due to Missouri's potential in an expanded playoff, as well as it's going to shift the attitude of like, we got to win this game to get in to, we got to win this game for seeding for home field advantage for those like Michigan games and, and other big games. Like the importance of the regular season is certainly still going to be there um, for seeding home field advantage, things like that. And, you know, I could also point to the fact that, you know, Michigan, Ohio state didn't really matter last year in the grand scheme of things um, outside of just, for bragging rights, but both teams made the playoffs. Um, so this is a game that in the future, it, we're going to shift attention. Like a lot of these smaller games on this final weekend that a lot of people don't really care about unless you're a fan of Missouri, Arkansas, isn't really important. But next year becomes a lot more important for your potential ability to get into the the expanded playoff and compete still. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. Like I wonder where Missouri is at in this game. There's rumors you know, Hartman's coming back, which I don't hate. You know, the vision he sold was that I'm going to be the guy that schmoozes boosters. I'm going to work the NIL train. I'm going to keep guys happy. I'm going to be, you know, kind of the positive vibes. 
program builder, kind of emotional leader, and then I'm going to hire really good coordinators and sort of lean on them. Didn't do the best in replacing his OC this year, but he he, he recognized that quickly and, and tried to change course and, and let him go, and we'll see what the hire looks like this offseason. But I don't hate that strategy in college football. You need that head coach. You need a head coach who's also very self-aware and understanding like, hey, I'm probably not the best X and O guy, but I can do a lot of good things to help this program. Um, and I just got to be really good at my my hiring process. So let's see how that plays out. But yeah, Missouri, let's see where they're at. Like, this is gonna be a very interesting game. I don't, I don't necessarily hate Arkansas here. Like, there's there's a real opportunity for a backdoor cover here because they are gonna get up and play. You know, it's Senior Day. Last time, a lot of those guys are putting on the pads at Arkansas. You've got a Missouri team that has just battled its way through a really tough end of the year schedule who is looking a little bit beat up recently. They aren't playing for playoff contention anymore. Like, this is a spot where you could potentially get a nice backdoor cover um, with Arkansas. Penn State, Michigan State, I don't have too much on this outside of, like, I don't know how Michigan State scores points. Um, So maybe betting it under for a Michigan State team total might not be the worst idea. Uh, Maybe first half, because there is the idea that Penn State could let off the gas late in this game, but defensively, like... Where's Michigan scoring points here? Where's Michigan State getting points against Penn State? I, I just I don't see it. Let's talk about the biggest game on Friday, though. Oregon State, Oregon. Line set at 14. This line is probably going to move with the bet the the public betting this game. Um, but this this creates a very interesting matchup. You have an Oregon team that doesn't necessarily need style points anymore. They just need to continue to win because they're going to have a chance at the Pac-12 championship, as long as they win here, to beat a Washington team again. So it's really about just getting the job done and getting out. So when we look at these individual matchups, let's look at Oregon, Oregon State, um, defensively versus offensively for Oregon first. Oregon is getting a, a decent task here against Oregon State. They're really good in the trenches. Their weak spot, though, is in that secondary. Oregon is is elected to sort of run a more methodical offense this season, uh, a more kind of dink and dunk type of offense, relying on Bo Nix and explosiveness from there. I want to see if they go ahead and take the time to work on maybe a deep ball here a little bit before their matchup against Washington, trying to push the ball and create big plays through the air, average depth of target increasing. Like That's what I'm really looking for in this game as they continue to head down the pipeline because that's going to be vitally important. It's something I said in the lead-up to the Penn State-Ohio State game and how Penn State seemed to not want to work in-game on developing that deep play explosive ability. Oregon needs to work on that a little bit here. They certainly have it, but like this is an opportunity. You're going against a weaker secondary, a team that can give up explosives. Try to take advantage of it. Try to work some things. Nothing that, you know, don't put anything that you're saving for the, the Washington game maybe, but, you know, Try out some things. Test it a little bit here. You flip the side here. This is a great test for Oregon's defense as well as this Oregon State offense because this Oregon defense, the the offense has gotten all the accolades this season. It's gotten all the attention. But Dan Lanning has got this defense rolling. This is a very, very good physical defense. Um, I really like what they're doing philosophically on, on the defensive side of the ball. Washington State is obviously the best offensive line they're probably going to face. Like Washington, actually Washington's probably a little bit better. Both very, very good. But I don't know the path to success running the ball. And if they can't run the ball effectively here, then you have to rely on DJ. And DJ, while 
he has been better this season because he's not always in shotgun. He's able to take snaps from behind center. He's able to work off play action more. They're doing things that are more tailored to his skill set. And Jonathan Smith, the head coach of Oregon State, is one of the best coaches in college football. Um, very interested to see if he maybe gets a, a better job this offseason. Has done a great job in building this program. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he sticks around, even if there is a potentially better job available. But this is a really tough test for them. Like, I'm not, I'm not excited to jump on a 14. Like, maybe if this dips a little bit below, I might pick an Oregon here. But this is just such a good test to see where Oregon is heading into this Washington State game. What kind of pressure can they manufacture against this offensive line? for Oregon State. You know, what does this offense look like if they try to push the ball a little bit in the passing game? So that's where I'm, I'm kind of at with this game. I don't have a, a necessarily a bet here. I think Oregon should pretty handily win this game, but Jonathan Smith is just such a damn good football coach at Oregon State that it's not out of the realm of possibility they go ahead and, and, and keep this game close. All right, let's talk about the game of games. Game of the week, game of the year, game of the potential century here. Ohio State-Michigan line is at 3.5, over under 46.5. This is the game where the hardball suspension matters the most. This is the game where that penalty hurts Michigan the absolute most because while he is able to help with the game script leaning into this game, not being on the sidelines, not getting a feel for the game on the sidelines and making those crucial decisions you have to make as a head coach of how aggressive you are. Do you go for it in this situation? Do you not go for it in this situation? The in-game adjustments, this is where it really matters. And I don't know if Moore is up for the task. Um, I do wonder, though, because I was looking back at the language in the Big Ten's letter to Michigan, and this is how the, the disciplinary action reads. I've determined that following disciplinary action against the university is appropriate. Effective immediately, the university football team must compete without its head coach for the games remaining in the 2023 regular season. This disciplinary action shall not preclude the university or its football team from having its head coach attend practices or other football team activities other than the activities to which it applies. For clarity, the head football coach shall not be present at the game venue on the dates of the games to which the disciplinary action applies. My question is, does Hardball try to get some messages to the booth during the game? Because he's obviously going to be watching this. He'll probably be watching from the football facilities, which are not at the venue. There will be a delay, obviously, between the TV and what's happening in-game. So he can't be like directing, run this play at this time type of thing. But if Moore is struggling with the overall feel of the game, is there a chance that they try to test this and maybe shoot a message to a guy in the booth? Because you can't have a cell phone on the sideline. That would be very obvious. But who's really checking the booth? Like, what's to say that there isn't some type of messaging system that they impose there where Harbaugh shoots off a message and goes, hey, I, I need more to be a little bit more aggressive here, to start thinking about going for it on fourth down, or to maybe not and be less aggressive in play calling. Like, the sort of vibes of the game, like... I'm very interested in that because it's really just language. The clarity language is what strikes this opi this opinion for me because it's all about just him not being present at the venue for the game. What's to say that he's not communicating with the booth or something? So that would be a little interesting because this is the area that I question Moore's ability. At some point, if Moore's going to be the guy to take over the program when Harbaugh eventually leaves, he's sort of got to figure it out in these spots and, and you want to test that. And I'm, I don't know if... You necessarily need to be concerned about that, but it was just something I thought about as I was breaking down this game. But let's talk about this game in general because 
I think the the ideas that I held coming into this game are shifting a little bit. I am really going to get roasted for my top 10 standings if Michigan doesn't pull this one out because I've already factored in a loss for Ohio State in this one. Um, but let's talk about Ohio State's offense versus the Michigan defense. Ohio State's offense is getting a lot better, and that is really due to Henderson really being able to step up, being healthier, and, and adding a real threat in the run game. I think there's a, a notion going around the offensive line's looking a little bit better. I don't know if I entirely buy that because the competition has significantly stepped down. The two biggest kind of data points we have for this is the Notre Dame game and the Penn State game. And that offensive line did not look great. And this is a defensive front that I would argue is top three in the country um, in college football right now. Like, just behind Georgia. Like, this is a really good defensive front. They can rotate bodies in. They rotate nine deep, I believe, right now, which is really impressive. So they're fresh. Um, They can substitute a lot of guys in and get after you here. So, But Henderson's development is certainly something to to be mindful of here. Obviously, Harrison's going to get a play or two here. I think Michigan's probably going to elect to roll coverage out to his side and say, hey, look, we know he's going to get a play or two but we can't let him be the one that beats us here because Michigan knows their greatest attribute is the, the shorter the field gets, the better that defense gets. And McCord has not shown that he has the arm talent to really succeed in throwing the ball into tight windows. So getting to the red zone could be very difficult to then convert. So what's the solution? I've been saying it for weeks. I'm going to say it again here. Cade Stover involvement is going to be a big-time determining factor, I think, in this game. The more Ohio State gets him involved, the more successful I think they are, he is going to be. I mean, he's averaging a little over 14 yards per reception right now. This guy and the matchup problems he could create could be game-changing for Ohio State. And you also have to think Michigan State is now, or Michigan is without its linebackers coach. So having him attack that middle, having him attack those linebackers could be crucial for Ohio State's ability to win this football game, move the ball offensively, and score. Like, I think he is sort of the X factor in this game. So I'm going to be really interested to see, one, if my theory is correct, and two, if if they do try to use him more, does it lead to a lot more success? Because I do think they'll be able to contain Harrison a bit. He's going to get some plays here and there. But Kate Stover is the guy to get the ball to. Um, The other part of this game then becomes, what does the Michigan offense look like against this defense? Because when there was a a very legit theory that Ohio State was just a little too soft defensively to, to go against this Michigan program and the development they have really implemented especially in the offensive line and the physicality they played with. like Their player development has been really fantastic the last couple of years. And so they go out and I hire Jim Knowles. Phenomenal hire. The moment they hired him, we praised it on the show. We talked about how he's going to bring a toughness to this team, that his defenses are really well suited for this, this game specifically, but just the Big Ten in general, and that you give him a couple years and this defense is going to be rolling. It's year two, and they're rolling. And so you've got this Michigan offense coming in here. I think there's been a mixture of, one, hiding some things back, and two injuries taking effect into why they've looked poor these last couple of weeks. You know, J.J. McCarthy's dealing with an injury now. We saw it a bit in the Penn State game. It really showed itself in the, the Maryland game. I think that's really significant because going into this game, I thought J.J. McCarthy's legs were going to sort of be a determining factor and game changer for the Michigan offense. Let's see if he can run the ball. If he can be a threat running the ball, that changes things dramatically for this Michigan offense positively. Because when you look in the pass game, Wilson's banged up. They say he's going to play. He's your best pass catcher. I don't really know what they offer offensively from there. 
while your your run game has been good if you look at just the stats, it hasn't been the most explosive compared to last year and the year before that. <coughs> Sorry, I had to get a glass of water there. Um, So using McCarthy's legs was really one of the reasons I, I liked Michigan. You know, heading into this game a couple weeks ago, I was like, Michigan's about to roll Ohio State. But the injuries are starting to add up for Michigan. Guys are banged up across the offensive line. Wilson, your your so far best threat in the passing game, banged up. McCarthy's banged up. He was wincing in warmups for the Maryland game. He was, you know, limited, and you could see he's kind of really inaccurate in that game, and, and that is sort of confirming our theory about the injury. So this is going to be really important. I think the one thing that also needs to be addressed, though, is that things have absolutely been simplified. One, because maybe Moore is a more conservative coach, but two, because they don't want to show anything to Ohio State. And the same thing for Ohio State, too. Like, these are two teams that every week are installing things for this game and holding things back that they're going to release in this game. We see it every single year. These two teams release things and do things in this game that we have not seen them do the entirety of the season because they're holding stuff back specifically for this game. And so it's why the overs have hit nine of the last 10, I believe it is now. The 46 has been crushed in games. I think you have to go back to like 2016 um, for a score that fell under 46. But these defenses are very improved. Offensively, there's a lot of questions heading into this game. So I understand the 46. I'm not running to the window to try to bet an over here or an under necessarily. I'm going to see where this number goes because once again, the public's going to have some say. If you want to bet Ohio State, I think there's a good chance this number rolls in your favor with the public. So you, it may be worth waiting here. If you're like me and are looking to bet Michigan, I'm going to kind of get out in front of it here and, and lay the three and a half. I'm a little nervous about it, but at the especially because hardball isn't there, and that could that could end up being pretty significant. But I just I have a lot more faith right now until I see proof of concept from Ohio State in just backing the Michigan side of this game. Um, all right, let's talk about some other games here on the week. Iron Bowl, Alabama, Auburn. Line is at 14 and a half. Over under 48 and a half. Woof. Hugh Freeze dropping a, a doozy last week for Auburn. Not the biggest surprise if you know Freeze's track record. He's always sort of good for a game where you're just left head scratching. Like, how did they lose that game? I was looking at this game, and I'm struggling to find paths of success for this Auburn offense. The only real thing that when you're betting this game that gives any validity to this offense having success is the fact that it's just the iron ball. And weird things happen in this game. This game is always played super competitively, even when the two teams are mismatched talent-wise, which there is a significant mismatch this year talent-wise. Um, this is the spot where I just... I really like Alabama and what's going on here. In the LSU game, we talked about how LSU missing their four transfer secondary guys was going to be really impactful. Um, and Alabama was going to be able to a little bit more methodical with the ball. Jalen Milrow is probably going to be able to have more success. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Milrow is an assassin on the deep ball. That's been well covered on this podcast. It's really been well covered everywhere. But what has been a pleasant surprise is really since that Texas game, 
I've thought that this team has continued to get better and better. And Milrow especially is showing an ability to be effective in that short to intermediary game where he really struggled earlier in the season. That has really started to come along. So this is a spot where that's going to get tested. I think Alabama is going to come out and be very aggressive. They still have a very good path to the college football playoff. They need some style points because Texas is in front of them right now. And if Texas wins out, they have the head-to-head matchup. So they need some style points here, I think, a little bit. They're going to be ultra-aggressive. The question then becomes Auburn's offense versus the defense for me. And Peyton Thorne has shown, surprisingly, that he is a, a threat in the run game. And that creates an interesting dynamic because Alabama historically has struggled against some more mobile quarterbacks. And this is the Iron Bowl. And weird... (coughs) Excuse me. Weird things happen. They are super dry here. I don't know what's going on. Um, But it's the Iron Bowl. Weird things happen. It's senior night. Last game for a lot of these Auburn kids. Hughes Freeze is a very good play caller he schemes some things up beautifully what does that look like in this game like it's going to be super interesting I'm holding off right now because I'm looking for an opportunity to bet Alabama and I want to see if this number comes down a little bit so I've held off on betting this game um, because I just I struggle outside of the simple philosophy that it's the Iron Bowl weird stuff happens the game is usually ultra competitive like outside of that which is a fair narrative I just I don't see a lot of room in pathways to success for this team. All right, as we continue down the list, the Apple Cup, Washington State versus Washington. Line is at 16 and a half, and we should be applauding these teams, folks. They have signed an extension for five years to continue to play this rivalry, even though the conference is breaking up. Our sweet, sweet Pac-12, it's got its last week here. Very sad for us at Trophy Kids Podcast, but this should be applauded. Like, this is awesome. In-state rivalries are one of the many things that makes college football unique and fun. And the idea that these two teams have figured out a pathway, at least for the next five years, to keep this thing going is awesome. This is what we want to see, not only as college football fans, but just fans of you know rivalries and the entertainment aspect of this and, and kind of everything that makes college football unique. That's what I love here. And so this should be applauded. This should be celebrated. Everybody should reward these teams by tuning into this game if you can and you have multiple monitors or TVs or something. Like, obviously, there's games like the Iron Bowl that are going to be going on during this that you're going to probably gravitate to more. But if you have the ability to watch multiple games, this is a game you should throw on. Let's like let's reward this and the effort that was put forth to keep this rivalry going to try to incentivize other things like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, um, and other rivalries that are, are getting broken up due to conference realignment because this is awesome for the sport. This in-state rivalries are really good for the sport, and this is what we love to see. As for the game, 16 and a half is a big number, and it's a big number for a reason. Washington has shown, and I've talked about this the last couple of months, that they are a well-balanced football team now. They don't have to simply rely on the passing game. They can be more well-balanced. They can offer a threat in the running game. They showed that last week in an absolute torrential downpour against Oregon State, a very good football team up front. They can run the ball effectively. And this is something we talked about a couple weeks ago, that they need to be a little bit more well-balanced and not a one-trick pony if they really want to make a push for the college football playoff. That's what they've done. The offensive line is fantastic. Their run-blocking scheme has come a long way because they've been great in pass blocking. 
But the run blocking scheme needed a little work. They've done that. They can now run the ball efficiently. They don't have to have Penix throw it 50 times a game. Because I did think at, at points in this season he's probably dealing with some injuries. Um, and, and that's been a really effective formula for them here. Washington State, though, is no slouch. They are getting healthier. The Colorado game I don't think is a giant benchmark because we know where Colorado's program is currently, but it was a good data point from the fact that Ward said himself that's the healthiest he's felt in a long time. And that is really important because what this team can do offensively is threatening. In a rivalry game where weird stuff happens, there's more incentive here. It's the last game a lot of these guys are going to um, pad up for. It's a great motivator to be like, we're going to ruin Washington's party as they leave the conference, and we have to stay because we have nowhere else to go to beat them here in this spot. And so that becomes the interesting dynamic because I sorry, lost uh, power there for a second. Um, real makeshift situation we got going on here. But Washington State's defense, I don't think is going to be very successful stopping this Washington offense. I do, though, think there's a good chance, even though the Washington defense has come a long way, last week was a great sort of um, proving point for them. And the way that defense played in the red zone, I thought was fan-freaking-tastic last week against Oregon State. And they're away, and they showed that they can get punched in the mouth, and they will respond. Because that's a really physical uh, Oregon State team, led by a really good head coach. Um, and so there's an opportunity here for Washington State, because they spread things out, they can be lethal with Cam Ward, for them to put up some points. Let's wait for the weather report and verify that. But if so, I think there's a potential over here in the final Apple Cup. 16.5 is a lot. I don't hate throwing in potentially teasers and teasering up Washington State. I think there's a, there's a path to success for Washington State's offense. So that's going to be really, really interesting. Um, because also at the end of the day, Washington does not need style points here. Like, we're not in the BCS era. They're undefeated. They're, everything's in front of them. They just got to win this game, get to the conference championship, and win that game, and they're in. Like, they don't have to get style points. They're in. So maybe they're not as aggressive. Maybe they're not opening up their playbook here. Maybe they are trying to be more conservative and, and eat up clock, and that all works in the favor of Washington State if that's the direction you want to play that. Um, Florida State versus Florida. Woo! Billy Napier's in trouble, folks. Um, a, a good football coach. I had high expectations, but, man, this Florida experience has been bad for him. Florida State's going to be a real interesting team to watch because we need to see what this looks like without Travis, who absolutely heart-wrenching and gutting what happened to him with his injury. He's an awesome kid who has really developed into a fine quarterback, and it's really sad to see a guy like that lose his opportunity due to a really terrible injury. Um, let's see what Tate offers at quarterback. He's a decent prospect you know he's been in the system for a while here he has some talent let's see what this looks like in a rivalry game see what it looks like in the swamp senior day in-state rivalry this is gonna be a very important mile marker I don't have a bet on this game I lean Florida State more than I lean Florida this is really get eyeballs on it let's see what it looks like what they potentially can be because at the end of the day Florida State was a team that that could get into the playoffs but couldn't really win it Let's see what they look like now with the quarterback change due to injury and where they're at. Because Mike Norvell is a really good coach. He's going to scheme things up. He's going to tailor the offense to what Tate can do well. This is a really gritty football team. 
they're professional about the way they go about their business. They get in, they get out, they get the wins, however they need to get the wins. They can perform at all levels. They've got playmakers. The offensive line, not exactly where I would want it to be, but let's see. Um, That's sort of all I've got as of right now. Um, I'm going to give out some bets on the Trophy Kids Podcast social, so make sure you're following at Trophy Kids Podcast um, on TikTok, where I'll give some other game breakdowns and some final thoughts, at Trophy Kids Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Hopefully, you got some good information there. I apologize. Kind of threw this together at the parents' house. Quick week. Um, we'll be back after this, though, to break down playoffs and everything else. So hopefully happy betting season here. Happy holidays. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, um, a safe Thanksgiving, a fun Thanksgiving. Hopefully we can win some money here. And as always, peace.